It was time for me to catch up with Cody Wisniewski. Cody is a general counsel and a, a VP for Firearms Policy Coalition, also gun policy. I sat down with Cody back in January of this year. We got caught up on sort of what that organization is doing and how they're doing it. In this episode, we get caught up on all the things that have happened since then and are currently happening in the world of, let's just say, constitutional litigation, as well as what's happening at the local, state, and sort of municipal levels. I wanted to sit with Cody because I'm having a hard time keeping up with at all, as I'm sure a good number of you are out there. There's been a little bit of a shift in the way FPC has sort of been handling their messaging, and I wanted to ask Cody about that and his thoughts on that going forward. This episode was recorded remotely, and uh, so it may sound a little different than a lot of the other episodes we do. This was the only way I was able to get in front of Cody as he's elsewhere in the United States. You know, the older kids taught me a lesson early in life, and that was snitches get stitches. We kids wanted things we said and did in the absence of outside eavesdropping eyes and ears to remain private and secure within our little neighborhood tribe. After all, this information was private, and we were sworn to keep it secure so it didn't get exploited in the wrong hands. Nowadays, my private information has expanded beyond that little group of bike-riding marauders and now sits available on all my electronic devices. And that makes me feel pretty uneasy, especially after having my phone and personal accounts and taken advantage of. The reality for you and me is our laptops are never really off. Our phones hold our entire lives, including family and work, and everything from credit cards to passports contain RFID. All of this effectively makes those little items little snitches. And this makes us all vulnerable to having our digital lives stolen. It's time to put a stop to that. And this is where Silent comes in. That's S-L-N-T. Silent offers a range of sleek RFID-blocking wallets, EDC Faraday bags, travel gear, laptop sleeves, and key fob cases with the added protection of their patented Silent Pocket Faraday cage technology. This elite signal-blocking technology is the easiest way to instantly enhance your peace of mind around how your mobile devices are screwing your digital life up. My personal favorites are the Silent Faraday phone and laptop sleeve. They give me peace of mind by allowing me to completely disconnect from anything incoming and or outgoing, including things that can negatively impact my financial, physical, psychological, and emotional health. So if you're looking for a solution to reclaiming your personal privacy, security, and health, go check out silent.com. That's S-L-N-T.com. You can follow them at GoSilent on Instagram and Twitter, and then use the code IRONSIGHTS at checkout for an exclusive discount. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard me talk about BioPro Plus. It's a non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH hormone treatments. I get to basically experience the benefits of my own natural HGH, and I don't have to worry about any needles, any doctor appointments, or any weird side effects. The best part about this was is it started working super fast for me. I'm talking days, not weeks, and it's 100% safe. So the process to get BioPro Plus was super easy. I just ordered a 30-day supply of a nighttime and a daytime formula or morning formula. I hold this stuff under my tongue for about 90 seconds before I swallow it. Right away, I noticed changes. One of the biggest things that came up for me was my recovery time improved. A couple other things I wasn't mad about. My libido went through the roof and my sleep was markedly better. Another downstream benefit of all the things that I mentioned, my body fat continues to drop and I haven't really changed that much about my lifestyle, my workouts, or my nutrition program. It's been pretty shocking. Listen, if you're interested in getting started on BioPro Plus, it's super easy. You can go get your 30-day supply by going to Bioprotein Tech com, or you can simply follow them at Bioprotein Tech and follow the links there. When you get there, use code IRONSIGHTS for $30 off your order. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, 
Taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Welcome back to the show. Cody Wisniewski of uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, uh, otherwise known as Gun Policy on Instagram and probably a lot of other places. Cody, welcome to the show, my dude. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Uh, last time we sat down was um, SHOT Show 2023. It's January, uh, so it's about seven months ago, almost, I guess, eight months ago now we, we had a talk. And I, you know, with all the things happening in... Um, legally in the country, um, I just, I had to get caught up with you. I can't even keep up with it all. And, um, so thanks for taking time out of your day and your extraordinarily busy schedule with all the things that are going on, I'm sure with work and in life to, to sit with me today. No, happy to be here. Uh, you know, of course it's been a really quiet seven months, so I don't know what we, what we possibly have to talk about, but I'm sure we'll find something. Uh, I got a few questions. I mean, we couldn't possibly cover it all, but, um, I, I have some questions and, you know, some things kind of like what's happening as a nation. I have some culture stuff I want to talk to you about, some things that are happening within the culture of FBC. I want to talk about California. Uh, obviously, that one's near and dear to the heart for me and some of the things that are happening here and a couple of big cases that you guys have been behind. And then also maybe talk a little bit about some of the cases that you're not behind but have some familiarity with. But before we get into any of that, I would love for you to just give people like an um, a recap on who you are. Cause again, we, we covered this in detail. And I thought it, I, it was one of my favorite interviews at, um, at SHOT Show this year. Um, but maybe you could just give people an update on who you are, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Cody Wisniewski. I am general counsel and vice president of legal at FPC action foundation. Uh, we work really closely with FPC, obviously we're sister organizations. Uh, and so my job essentially is to, to help, uh, manage, FPC's litigation portfolio. So I work with all of our, our lawsuits across the country. I also do a lot of work getting out in public, talking about our work, talking about our cases. Uh, so we have about 53 active cases across the country right now. And so it takes a lot of work to make sure that all of those cases are running smoothly and, uh, and being litigated to the, uh, to the appropriate extent so that we can make sure that we strike down as many of these laws as possible. How many people does it take to litigate 53 cases? A good number. So we work with, we have, you know, in-house attorneys that we do um, work with. We've got attorneys that we work with outside of FPC uh, that are, you know, also kind of experts in this space. And so it takes a, a, a team. But the biggest thing is that we are specialists, right? We focus on this area of law. So a lot of people kind of will think as like a lawyer doing your general um, you know, maybe contract work or, you know, some people have encountered lawyers through divorce proceedings or through, you know, starting businesses, those sorts of things, right? So some lawyers are very specialized. Some lawyers are very general. We are very specialized. We focus, my background is in constitutional law, uh, is in suing the government. Uh, and my, my focus is in second amendment litigation, gun rights, and this space. So 
it does take a, a good sized team, but we're also so specialized and focused in on this area that it makes it so that we can do more with less. Yeah. Uh, the, with as much stuff as going on out there, you guys can possibly be doing this all, all on your own. I mean, and it's a nonprofit organization too, which creates, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to that, but there's certain, certainly challenges in terms of what bandwidth is, funds are, all that, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit first off, and I'll say this for those people that are listening, like Cody, you did a really good job of kind of talking about how you got into this, like where things started for you and how it got there. Um, I encourage people to go back and listen to the to the episode and to the other things that we covered there as a compare and contrast to where we are now with all the things that are going on. So just with that, maybe you could, again, you guys cannot cover everything uh, as much as maybe you'd like to and be, you know, out there on the front lines, Team America and, and crushing and swatting all these things down or at least attempting to. Can you talk just kind of like what's the state of the union from your perspective on what's going on out there with regards to um, what's happening with the Second Amendment and in the courts, in the White House, state to state, municipality to municipality? I mean, there's so many layers here. Is there a way to kind of bring that all together? Absolutely. Yeah. And something's really evolved since we last spoke. So, you know, I would say that the state of the union is, is trending in the right direction. So it's easy. It's really easy to get discouraged in this space because you look to see just how many regulations we have today, just how heavily regulated, you know, gun rights are and the ability to, you know, sell, buy, possess, transfer, travel with, transport, store. There's, there are an immense number of regulations today. So I, you know, we fully recognize that, but one thing we're seeing is we're seeing the, you know, these laws really start to get struck down. And we talked a little bit about that in January, but now we're really seeing it coming towards the end of this year, having a, a full year since Bruin, right? So Bruin is this landmark Supreme Court case that was decided last year. We talked about it last time. Basically, what Bruin did was the Supreme Court said that lower courts are required to look to the text and history of the Second Amendment when evaluating any Second Amendment legal challenge. Uh, any challenge regarding Second Amendment protected rights. Since that point, because the Supreme Court was so explicit in that case, lower courts are actually looking to the text and the history of the Second Amendment, what we would call the original public meaning, to evaluate these cases. And we've had you know, victory after victory in courts across the country. Things are getting better and better. We're strike- we've struck down the movement writ large has struck down more laws in the year post-Bruin than it happened in the 14 years post-Heller, which was, of course, the previous landmark case that should have had the same effect that Bruin had, but lower Mm -hmm. courts decided not to follow it. So it has been massive. And and the reason for that is the the Supreme Court in Bruin put the burden on government to prove that their laws are constitutional. So once it's clear that conduct is covered by the Second Amendment, that the issue is an arms issue, whether it's possessing or transporting or carrying, then it's on the government to point to a relevant, analogous, historic law that shows that the government was able to regulate that conduct surrounding when the Second Amendment was ratified and thus can regulate that conduct today. And that has been the biggest shift. So it's easy to get discouraged in the space. It's easy to see all of these laws, but what we're really seeing is, you know, the tides start to shift and a lot of these laws start to get struck down. 
Yeah. So when, when you say we, you, you're talking about like the collective we, those that oppose the government um, overreach with regard to the Constitution. What do you think? Like, and I got to be honest, like looking at it from the outside, again, it is very easy, I think, for anybody and, and me included to just be like, God, it's just constant. Like, there's just no stopping it. And you could chalk that up as well. They're really ramping it up and really, you know, throwing more at it right now because what you're saying is true. Um, it, it, that they are feeling like maybe they're on their heels a little bit. When I say they, I mean the collective they that oppose the Second Amendment or are all constantly trying to add new laws and new regulations. And I want to be clear, like my position on this is we have a huge responsibility as a nation that has this, that has our, our right to bear arms protected in our constitution, right? Like we, we have that. It's, it's, it's a right of ours anyway. We've covered that before on the show. The constitution is explicitly saying like, yeah, we just want to make sure you understand that it's protected here probably more than anywhere else. And that that becomes a, a ton of responsibility and with responsibility might come some level of regulation. I think the question is, is like, at what level does this stop? Cause it just continues to go and go and go. But my circling back, it's the frustration piece of what the hell is going on here because we constantly see it being brought to the table. Now, so my question would be, if you're looking at it from the the opposition side here, if they have anything that they're doing well and or they feel like they have like some type of a foothold on, what is it? I mean, the biggest thing right now is they're they're taking advantage of the speed of legislatures versus the speed of courts. And, and I think that's what a lot of people are seeing. And it is, it is discouraging for people is that to get interim relief, right? So if you follow the space, if you follow litigation, you'll, you know, you'll have heard the word injunction thrown around 17 million times. Basically what an injunction is, is it's at an early stage of the case, you're asking the court to put a pause on a law going into effect while you can argue the full case. So basically you're saying court, eventually we're going to get to the full merits of this. We're going to argue this completely. But before we get to that stage, put put a pause, just put a hold on the law and maintain the status quo. Now that sounds really reasonable when you explain it. Okay, well, you know, there's factors that you have to meet, but okay, well, maybe we'll just put a pause on it. But in courts, it's considered extraordinary relief because the court doesn't want to interfere with the legislature, unless the court has a good reason to do so. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really extraordinary. And so it's hard for, in a lot of cases to be able to get injunctive relief. And that's why when you see, you know, people come out, when we come out, we talk about getting injunctions against certain states, against certain municipalities, even against the federal government. That's a massive win because it's a really high bar to meet. But Because of that, it's not granted in all cases, and it's not even necessarily granted in the majority of cases. So what a legislature can do in a place like California is it can push laws through as fast as they can, you know, get them debated and get them signed off on by, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, his his royal majesty. Mm -hmm. And once they do so, then they can leverage or they can just wait on the fact that it might take a court months or even years to fully get to the point where the court is evaluating the law and he's potentially striking it down. So I don't know that there are any specific laws that I would point to that I would say like, yeah, that's a, you know, there's this, these are newly passed laws that are following analogous historical regulations because they're, they're just really not focusing on anything that would be within the realm of constitutionality, 
what they're doing is they're just firing off things at the speed of light because they know that they can get it on the books and they can probably, you know, they might be able to win on an injunction and then it'll be years before there's any actual impact. So, and then they use it as a campaign part, right? Like, so if they win, they go out to their constituents and say, see, we're making the country a safer place, even though we know that these laws don't actually have any impact there. If they lose, then they go, oh, well, it was an activist court that struck down our you right. know, common sense measure. And so that's why you need to reelect me so that I can you know, move to the next stage. It's they, they play both sides of the coin because they don't care about you. Right. They don't care about the people. They don't care about your rights. It's it's a, a game for them on you know, power and reelection. So this thing continues. And I mean, there's all the states and all the municipalities and then obviously the federal government that seems to want to support uh, this and even go a few steps further, which we'll circle back to um, with regard to some of the three letter agencies that are out there. So for those people out there that are like, look, man, you guys are this, this nonprofit that's helping or should be helping folks. Um, and I've submitted my case to you as, you know, and I need help. What, what can you tell people like, and I'm not getting it. They're saying like, Hey, listen, like, why aren't you taking my case? Like, I wish you guys would pay enough attention to my case here in, well, my state of California, as you do to so-and-so's case over there in Illinois. What, what's the reality of this, man? I mean, the biggest thing is, so, so like I said, we have about 53 active cases across the country and that's just like litigation. Basically, you know, we're in a courtroom or we're working with the, uh, the attorneys in the courtroom. We're fighting these cases. That's just, I mean, that might, that's more than just about anybody else in the movement, whether it's gun rights or anybody in the Liberty space writ large, we have a huge caseload. And when you think about it, when you're talking about 52, 53 active cases, there's multiple you know, plaintiffs in each of those cases, mm. right? And so there's multiple FPC members in each of those cases. And so that, that's hundreds of people. And FPC, when it, you know, enters into a case, it seeks to represent its members because that's a, there's a legal standing doctrine, which mm. basically says that FPC can sue on behalf of its members as long as it meets a certain test. And so FPC, you know, advances that claim as long as it can meet that test in, in whatever individual case. So, you know, we at, at the, you know, FPC law are doing everything that we can to, to represent as many people as possible in these cases and to get as many of these issues before judges as we possibly can. But as you mentioned, you know, we're a nonprofit. Litigation is incredibly expensive. Some of these cases can take, you know, five, six, seven, eight years and can cost, half a million, three quarters of a million dollars in the equivalent of, you know, attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. And as a nonprofit, you know, the individuals that, you know, we represent or the ones that we work with, they don't pay attorney's fees because they're stepping up and they're representing, you know, they're standing in the shoes of, of their fellow, their fellow citizen, their fellow person to represent everybody's rights that they, that they Mm -hmm. possibly can. And so it's a, huge project. It's a huge undertaking. So the the truth of the matter is we just can't do everything, right? Mm -hmm. We can't do everything to all people. So we try to do as much as we possibly can while staying incredibly strategic with, you know, how we marshal our resources, where we're focusing the fight, where the weaknesses are in the fight and what we're able to do. So I, you know, I fully understand that people can be frustrated at times being, you know, oh, I'm I'm a member or, you know, I'm having this issue and, you know, there's not a lawsuit 
filed tomorrow. And I get it. And it really sucks that there are all these places where people's rights are consistently being tread on. Um, But we are doing just as much as we possibly can in this space to just have as big of an impact as possible and try and, and, you know, restore the rights of as many people as possible. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you can't, can't solve all the world's problems. And as good a case as somebody might have, it doesn't mean you can take it just because it's quote unquote winnable or something, whatever. I think one of the other questions I'd have, and I, again, you, you, this, I think this led off with, you know, as people are looking and they're seeing out there, it's really tough to kind of, sometimes it can be very tough to stay positive uh, about the things that they see. And again, especially if they're not getting their way or they've just been impacted by one of these things, like my brothers and sisters up in Oregon that are staring down the barrel of a couple of things up there we've been talking about for a little less than a year now, how fast that happened and how the cancer can spread from one one to the next and then you're you know, now you're faced with something where you're trying to fight a case. You feel like you've done your homework and you've done all the all the good stuff, and to get it won or whatever the case is, at least to to make, have a good fight. And um, it, you know, you're not feeling like you're getting the attention you need. I think that's um, that's a rough spot for a lot of people to be in. The other thing, I me, mean, I would say is what I've seen. I think from people's attitudes. Uh, you know, as they, as they have these conversations or as they fire back in the comment sections or even on podcasts or, or, or whatever in, in, in the media, uh, whatever you're seeing on TV and, and beyond is this, I think you know, people are starting to take maybe a little bit of a, of a, let's just say more of an intense stance. And we've seen a little bit of a shift in FPC's kind of messaging since the last time I sat down with you. And I might add, we've actually seen one another since. We actually went out shooting together. We were, I saw you in Atlanta. We did have a range of, as short as that was, like I saw, I saw you for a little bit. But we had the, um, we've had this kind of shift in attitude and it's become a little bit more, I would say, aggressive. Uh, it's become a little bit more in your face. Um, and that's been, that's turned a lot of people off. I've heard people like, hey man, you don't need to, you don't need to, the, I, I would just say kind of the, the response, the common response is, is fuck, you know, we're not doing this. We are fighting this fight we, this is not okay. And at some level, you know, p- part of uh, half the people are going, Hey, yeah, that's exactly how they need to be talked to now because they're not listening otherwise. So we have to, we're, we're going at it this way. The other half of people are going, look, man, anytime you use that term, that just means there really isn't any conversation left. And all we're going to be doing is going to fists and, and, you know, while some things do get resolved there, this is a little bit more complex uh, than a than a fight out in the parking lot or in the schoolyard or whatever else. So maybe this isn't the best approach. Um, and the reason I'm asking this question and to get maybe your 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 take on it is is because we are limited to what we're seeing. Like we don't see what happens in the courtroom. We don't see what happens in litigation. We only see a post, a meme you know, a Twitter post or, or something like that, or a brief article on the website to be able to kind of draw our own conclusions and what's up. Could you talk a little bit about that and kind of what the culture there is at uh, FPC and how you can respond to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I don't know that we've gotten, uh, you know, more aggressive. I think we go through, you know, ebbs and flows at times where there's just more going on and, and we have to take a, a harder stance or a stronger stance, or there's Fair more enough. things to be outspoken about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, look, we're, we're un, unapologetic in our tone. I mean, FPC has a very specific tone, has a very specific messaging and has a very specific focus because we aren't going to play the game of debating our rights away. 
right? We've seen that happen for 20, 30, 40 years. We're done with it. It's over. Not going to play this game anymore of, ah, well, they're good intentioned or, oh, well, we can reach a middle ground. That middle ground's gone. I mean, that's over. If they're going to be passing laws that are infringing on peaceable people's ability to protect their own lives, what they're saying is your lives aren't as valuable as theirs, right? They're sitting in legislatures. They're passing these laws. They're protected by armed guards who own things that you're not allowed to own, who have freedom to move that you don't have. And when they pass these laws, they exempt those people that are protecting them. But they don't give a crap about you. And so people can can want to go in and, and, you know, have that conversation and sit down and have that talk. That's fine. But if a politician is going to come out and say, your life is less valuable than mine, we have a simple answer. Fuck you know is a tagline, sure. Mm -hmm. But it means something. It means, like, fuck your law. Like, I'm tired of you devaluing my life. My life is is valuable to me, and that's what matters. And that's the, the biggest thing behind this. I think part of it is that politicians are just now playing back at us more so than than we've seen before, right? Mm-hmm. Gavin, you know, mentioned us in a press release recently when he came out. I mean, I think you're just seeing some of those interactions pick up more, but we are unapologetic in our fight. And if it's something that's going to a courtroom that FPC is, is taking on, it is a fist fight. We're in fist fights now. Like, that's what litigation is. Litigation is an adversarial system. That is how it was designed. It's a very sophisticated adversarial system. Uh, You are not, in fact, allowed to punch anybody else in the courtroom. (laughs) But it's it's, frowned upon. (laughs) It is frowned upon. Uh, But it's a fist fight with words. And what people can, you know, people are seeing that public side, right? People are seeing the social media side. All of our legal work is all public information. So you can go to, you know, the, the website, you can go and look at the cases. You can go to firearmspolicy.org, click on the legal action tab. You will see everything that we file in all of our cases. You can read the briefs. We have, look, we're lawyers in the courtroom, but we're people outside. And, I think it's important to remember. I think that's an important thing to remember. Yep. And, and that's just the biggest thing. Like, I, I, it disgusts me when you see these politicians using their position and using their ability just to trample on other people and to make it so that other people can't exercise their rights. It's just so offensive that the only thing to be done is tell them to go fuck off. I mean, that is, is where we're at in this space. And when it's getting to the point that we have to file lawsuits and we're litigating and we're in a courtroom, they're using tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of your resources to defend their law that violates your rights. If there's a time where we can go in and we can have a conversation and they will agree that they lose like a settlement, we'll settle yeah, right. the case. No problem. Right, right. Yeah, I, we have no problem settling out cases if it means that they're not going to enforce or they're going to withdraw their unconstitutional law. Fat but chance. Until, yeah, but until that happens, right. it's a battle. And, and that's what litigation is. So I can appreciate it. You know, the tone isn't for everybody and that's okay, right? There are, you know, there are other opportunities for other people to get involved in the fight. Get involved in the fight is what matters. You know, how you want to do that is is up to you. We just aren't going to do it in an apologetic way. 
Man, I, I, look at I appreciate that. I mean, you guys know who you are, and I think that's important. And if you know if you know that, then you also should know that you might not be for everybody, and that might not make everybody happy. And I stopped trying to make all the people happy all the time a long time ago because I know that that's impossible. Um, if it doesn't impact your ability to fight the fight in the way that it needs to be fought in order to get the get the wins to do, and do the right thing at the end of the day. You might not like my tone. You might not like my language in, in, in the way I say it. Um, look, I've had lots of coaches, lots of bosses, lots of, you know, people in my parents at times in life where I didn't like what they were saying or how they were saying it, but, um, you know, it was effective. So, well, and, and that's another important thing right there, right? Is it like that tone has inspired a lot of people mm-hmm. to take up the fight too. Yep. A lot of people hadn't felt comfortable with this, this idea of just going right at these politicians, right at these agencies. I feel like there was a period of time and there still is right where we looked at these, you you looked at like a politician as, as their position, right? Oh, that's the governor. There's a certain way that you have to talk to the governor. And I think we forget, or, or, you know, collectively as a society that the governor is just another person. It's just a, a, a human being who's has the ability to wield extraordinary power and in a lot of instances is choosing to do so against you. And the same is true when you look at ATF, right? We talk about ATF as an agency. ATF is offensive. ATF should be disbanded. ATF is a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And those are people who have been, you know, purportedly given power that they can use against you and they are using it against you. If we're not willing to have those hard conversations, then we're not going to get back to a point where people's rights are respected. We're not going to get back to a point where we're following the constitution, where we're following the protections of the second amendment. If we don't get back to the point where we recognize it is a government by the people for the people, and it is a government comprised of people. And that taking these conversations on having this a little bit more of a combative tone is, is really important in, in making people feel comfortable to, to take that conversation on it, to take that fight on. I, you know, there's a lot of that that I agree with. And I think, you know, and I find it interesting at times where we were that so many in the space are all about, you know, get out there, stand up for your rights, be, be aggressive, you know, don't take no for an answer kind of thing, but then also don't like it when, when folks are being aggressive um, and saying things they don't like. I mean, what's the limit to this, right? I mean, it's peaceable. It's just, it's just in a way that you might you might not like it because it doesn't fit your moral or ethical way, whatever in terms of language. And I don't want to I don't want to harp on that, but I think the important thing that you said there is that that's not everybody, and that every that you have inspired a larger part of the population, I think, to join the fight in a way by sort of giving them permission to tell the government to fuck off, which the Constitution actually you know protects. It actually says that, like, if you guys get out of control, we can tell you to fuck off. Uh, the challenge is, is it's gotten so big and so complex and so, I think, perverted and, and convoluted that it's become very, very hard to do that now. Um, and you just mentioned one of those, one of those, those types of people being a governor of a state. I happen to have one here that I dislike very much. Uh, not because, you know, not just because of his policies. I, I'll publicly say it. I think he's a bad person. Um, <clears throat> that's my personal opinion. But I think, and I, I know you don't have to be a good person 
to be a legislator or to be in government. Um, but I, I do think you should be looking out for people. Um, and I don't think that that's the case here. And my point of that, my point of bringing that up is kind of just moving this, this conversation forward. It's kind of moving into some of the things that are happening, you know, from a, from a larger perspective. And then we can kind of dig down into some of those cases that I mentioned earlier. So maybe we can talk about, uh, the illustrious governor here, uh, his relationship with what's ha- with uh, those that are in the the top level of federal government, and uh, this right to safety amendment that's being pushed, and and uh, the governor here being sort of the poster child for. Can you talk to that kind of what's going on and how that impacts a lot of what we're going to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so it's no secret that you know Gavin has been you know pushing around this idea of a new constitutional amendment to try and, you know, push forward his, his gun control dreams. Uh, I actually wrote about it when it was first, uh, when it was first announced, I wrote a piece, I think in the Orange County Register. Uh, And, you know, I think there's two important things behind it. It, it shows one that he's losing. He's desperate. Yeah, I mean, the the entire push for the amendment is an attempt to rewrite the Constitution, right? That's what amendments are, is an attempt to rewrite the Constitution to put into place things that he wishes that he could have that are repeatedly being or are getting struck down by courts across the country. It's They are uh, laws that are currently unconstitutional, and it's, it's a very obvious ploy. Now, the other side has been, you know, a lot of people have written this off as, oh, it'll never pass. Sure, it'll pass in California. It'll never it's a stunt. Pass. Yeah, it's yeah. just a stunt. Yep. Sure. And it probably is, right? It, you know, it's probably a very effective fundraising maneuver. Who, you know, who knows what ex- exactly is behind the mentality. But what's important there, though, is that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that these are still being proposed as a constitutional amendment. Like, yeah. how offensive that is how willing uh, Gavin is to just try and take his power in his, you know, state. I, I'm sorry uh, that, <laughs> that, you know, California has experienced this uh, as we talked about. I, you know, I'm originally from Southern California. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I certainly know what it's like, but he's trying to take that and just project that across the country. And they're, what they're trying to do is, is shift in a sense, the Overton window. They're trying to shift the, the space of permissible conversation to, oh, well, why don't we talk about this as a constant, you know, a concept of an amendment? What it is, is it's a further violation of people's rights that are protected by the Second Amendment. Though, but that right, like we talked about before, that pre-exists the Second Amendment. It pre-exists government. It is your natural right as a human being to defend your own life. And an, an amendment, like what what Gavin is proposing is an amendment that would further restrict people's ability to protect their own life, right, their own life. And it would further limit your natural right to self-defense. And that is something that we can't lose sight of, even if it is a political stunt. Yeah. Again, maybe it goes nowhere, but um, it's a lot of balls, man. It's a lot of balls. And I think the you know, this comes from he he feels like he's untouchable because he has been, and this is the guy that could be get behind it and really not be impacted negatively in his own state or even at the federal level when it comes to the Democratic Party. Like he's he's kind of a made man in that sense, so uh, he can he can do these things without 
harm to his political career. If anything, it just boosts those that support him, you know, like, like a lot of this stuff does, but yeah, it is, it is bothersome. I don't want to spend too much time there because it's very much in the beginning stages, but at, at the same time, I think as we trickle over, I don't want to talk about California, California yet. Um, but some of these offensive things you mentioned, you mentioned the ATF, um, let's move to the pistol brace rule yeah. and the, the stuff that's going on with pistol braces, because I think this, this is this overstepping as we're looking into the ATF. Again, I, I said this before we opened up for the listeners, not everybody is fully aware of how all of this works or where we're at with that. So maybe in very, as brief as you can keep it, kind of give us a rundown of where we are legally with the p- pistol brace rule and what's happening and where we are and how the ATF did what they what they did and, and what's going to happen next. Yeah, so, so the pistol brace is kind of the, you know, has been the latest step in this push to, you know, further kind of weaponize ATF's rulemaking. Um, and it's in this context of the Administrative Procedure Act, the APA, which is basically the rules that Congress set for agencies so that agencies can make rules to, you know, enforce, air quotes, right. uh, federal law, essentially. But what's happened over the past 50 years is agencies have passed these, have drafted these rules and these regulations to, in effect, really alter federal law. So Congress passes really vague laws. Then the agency gets the law, passes some sort of rule or regulation or or drafts and and publishes some sort of rule or regulation that purports to interpret, again, air quotes, the federal law, but in reality does whatever the agency wants to do. So it kind of imbues the agency with the ability to write the law and enforce the law, which of course is a violation of our our, our basic constitutional structure. But that's kind of the background of, of what's been happening. And it's been happening outside of the gun rights space for a long time. It's been happening in property rights, in, um, you know, in water law, in uh, dealing with natural resources, all sorts of different issues. But then, of course, you have the, uh, the bump stock rule under the Trump administration. And as soon as that comes out, then it kind of shifts the tide. Biden has the frame of receiver rule, which I know we'll talk about in a second, yep. and then the pistol brace rule. So obviously we filed a lawsuit in federal court challenging the rule as a violation of people's Second Amendment protected rights, as well as a violation of the Administrative Procedure Act, because not only is it a violation of protected rights, the agency also didn't follow its own rules and or the rules that Congress set for it in uh, promulgating the rule. So it, full, it just fully circumnavigated. It just did what yeah. it wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. They just, they don't care anymore. Right. They, they don't go to con- Congress doesn't pass laws on this space anymore. And that's been the biggest you know point in all of this is look, if Congress wants to do this, then Congress should do this. The ATF doesn't get to come out and say, Oh, well, actually we think that we are allowed to regulate this. And in, in the, you know, in the stabilizing brace, the pistol burst context for 10 years, for a decade, ATF had said, these items, which can attach to the back of a heavy pistol, do not change the legal status of that pistol, meaning it does not make that into magically converted into a rifle. Thus, if it has a barrel of less than 16 in- inches, it still is not captured under the National Firearms Act. Mm-hmm. After 10 years of this guidance, uh, and after the plain language of the statute, by the way, which says that it a, a rifle is designed and intended to be fired from the shoulder. 
After 10 years, the ATF comes back out, publishes this rule, and it basically says, oh, actually, I know we've been saying this for a decade, but we think that these things are actually stocks. And when they're attached to the back of heavy pistols, they do make something a rifle. And thus, if it has a barrel length of less than 16 inches or an overall length of less than 26, it is a short-barreled rifle, which is regulated under the National Firearms Act, which means that you have to pay a $200 uh, Mm. tax stamp. And you're subject to, you know, extensive delays, an additional background check, and even more restrictive regulations on how you can store the firearm, possessing the firearm, traveling with the firearm, all sorts of issues. Uh, and so we filed a lawsuit and we challenged the rule. And I, we well, were, can I can I time you out for yeah. a second? Yeah. I think another important note there is if you already had these things, you were going to be required to register them as such. No matter how old they were, how long you'd had them. Yeah, ATF basically retroactively revamped all of its guidance and said, oh, not only can you not rely on our last 10 years, we think now that these things have always been SBRs and they've always been illegal. So you are now in possession of of an unregistered SBR. You could be a felon. Right. The penalty for that is, or could be? 10 years in prison. Yeah. And a huge fine per item. Uh, And so, but the ATF, uh, out of the uh, grace of its heart, uh, you know, agreed to not enforce its new interpretation of federal law for 120 days and said, oh, well, you have 120 days to go and register these as if you always should have. And so basically with the stroke of a pen, ATF created... Uh, millions of felons overnight and then said, but we're not going to treat you as a felon so long as you comply with our new rule within three months. And, but it did nothing for the people that are making these items, selling these items, had them in stock either, right? That, that 120 day so-called grace period only applied to individuals. It didn't apply to manufacturers. It didn't apply to retailers. And so they were stuck with something that had magically transformed status overnight right. and with nothing to do with it. So we filed our suit. We, uh, you know, we asked for the, the rule to be in, an injunction, uh, like we talked about before. And the district court uh, denied our, our relief. We immediately went to the Fifth Circuit. We asked for an inju- what's called an injunction pending appeal, which just says, Fifth Circuit, put a pause on this case. Then we'll, you know, fi- write the, you know, the appellate papers will argue the appeal and then you guys can make a final decision. The Fifth Circuit granted that um, and clarified, you know, that it applied to the individual plaintiffs in the case. Uh, Maxim Defense, uh, which is our, you know, our retailer uh, plaintiff in the case. And Maxim Defense's customers, as well as FPC's members. Um, and so we got that injunction. We argued the case before the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit agreed that we are likely to win the case on the merits. That's one of the factors of getting an injunction. And then the Fifth Circuit says, because the court only dealt with that one factor of a four-factor test, we're going to send it back to the district court to determine the other three factors. And the question of the scope of the injunction, how broad uh, the injunction should be. And so we are in the midst of briefing right now at the district court, arguing those three factors and the question of scope. Um, our brief, but the injunction is still in place, was still held in place by the Fifth Circuit until at least the end of September. 
And so our, uh, our final brief is due on this Friday. Uh, um, and that'll kind of wrap up the, the question for the district court. And then the district court will have the opportunity to weigh in on those final three factors. And importantly, again, the scope of the injunction, who's going to be covered under the space. And how long does something like that generally take to work out? I mean, you can't, you can't speak for the, for the fifth circuit, but like, what should people expect or when, when would we hear about this? Yeah. So this one's a little bit unique because the fifth circuit said, yes, we're going to keep the injunction in place. Yes. They're likely to win on the merits. And district court, you can evaluate the other factors in the scope, and you have to do so no later than, it was 60 days from when the um, the Fifth Circuit issued its order, which I think falls on September 30th. So we will hear from the district court in this case, you know, by September 30th, and we'll know exactly what the next steps going forward are. Um, you know, in a case like this, the the... Some of the other factors are like public benefit, balance of harms, and irreparable injury to the, the plaintiffs. And it's just so clear that the rule has, has directly harmed like Maxim Defense, which is, you know, one of the leading manufacturers of stabilizing braces in the country, has irreparably injured the individual plaintiffs, FPC's members. I mean, has put all of these people into legal turmoil, potentially created felons overnight, you know, we think it's it's a, a really strong argument. We think it's really obvious under the test. And then the big question will be, you know, how far uh, the court will extend the injunction and if it'll keep the injunction where it is, if it'll be broader. Um, but we will have an answer from the district court by the end of, of this month. So let's just say that works out positively the way, you know, probably most of the people listening to the show wanted to, or, or you and I want it to, let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> what's the reality of how that impacts or doesn't impact all this nonsense about the ATF writing their own rules and doing whatever they want? Would it, is this something that could come back and, and haunt them? Um, does the ATF get sued um, after they potentially lose a case or lose this, this gets overturned. So in, in effect, they've lost. Uh, how does, how does that impact them at all, or will it? I mean, in a couple ways, um, but probably ways that are going to be mostly unsatisfying uh, for the listeners. So, the you know, if the ETF loses and the rule is vacated, which is the appropriate remedy under an APA case, an Administrative Procedure Act case, that means that basically the entire rule is just set aside. It's gone. Uh, it's as like if it, it never happened. happened. It's like it never, it never happened. existed. Yep, exactly, and. That's a huge win. I mean, it sends a signal that these kind, this issue isn't going to be put up with. It sends a signal that this kind of regulation isn't valid, is unconstitutional, violates federal law. And it puts a damper on what the agency has been willing to do. Now, here's the problem, right? These rules take an immense amount of resources to, to draft and prepare. When you're looking at the, you know, the pistol brace rule, the stabilizing brace rule, there were almost 300,000 comments on the rule. And so it takes the agencies a ton of time to go through these, these comments to respond to every type of comment. Every, they have to respond basically to every unique comment. And so it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work for the agency to do that. And so when you can get that completely set aside, then what we've done is we've made it to where it's very clear to the agency, like, you can't do this. Don't do this in the future. Don't try again on this because it's going to be struck down as unconstitutional or illegal, and it's not worth the time. 
The reason that's generally unsatisfying to people is because we pay for the agency hours. Right. And this is my so, dollars. This is my dollars that they're using for this. Yeah. And so it's it's this we have this system now where these federal agencies are using our money to write rules to infringe on our rights. And then when they lose, they are, you know, discouraged from doing so again. Um, they have to start from scratch. And so those are good things when you look at reining in the federal government. But I also know that they're not necessarily the most satisfying to people when they look at it from the outside in. But here's the big thing. When you step back and you look at where we're at with agency law right now, we are, again, very much trending in the right direction. So the bump stock ban was struck down by two courts and is current, there's currently three petitions for certiorari, basically requests for the Supreme Court to hear the case. Okay. Pending before the Supreme Court right now. So that's a, that's a massive win in striking down an, an unconstitutional rule and sets it up for the Supreme Court to weigh in on this issue, weigh in on the APA, weigh in on how ATF is weaponizing federal law. So, so that's going on. We have the frame receiver case where we won in the district court. The district court struck it down and vacated the rule. Now that's up on appeal. Uh, you know, we can talk about that. We've got the pistol brace case where we got an injunction out of the Fifth Circuit. And, you know, now and, and we were told we're likely to succeed in the case. So these things are all showing a pushback on agency rulemaking in the gun rights space. But we're also seeing cases go up where. You know, the the Supreme Court recently weighed in on something called the major questions doctrine, which is the idea that an agency can't look to an innocuous provision of federal law to find massive power. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Scalia basically once once talked about it as if, you know, Congress wouldn't find wouldn't hide elephants in mouse holes. The idea that you can't find big power in small provisions. Uh, so the major questions doctrine is is a huge pushback against agency authority that's been allowed to kind of run amok over the past 50 years. Then now there's a case pending before the Supreme Court that they're going to hear called Loper Bright that deals with the question of Chevron deference. And what Chevron deference is, is basically when an ATF or sorry, when an agency issues a rule, when that rule is challenged in federal court under Chevron, the federal court will defer to the agency's interpretation of federal law as long as it is reasonable. Now, that okay. interpretation doesn't have to be the best interpretation. It doesn't have to be the strongest. In fact, if you, as the challenging party, have a better and stronger interpretation, the court could literally walk in and go, yes, that's a better interpretation, but the agency's interpretation is still reasonable, and so we're going to defer to the agency. And that provision has done a lot for allowing agencies to skirt court review, right? Mm-hmm. So basically we're in a place where they already enforce federal law as an executive branch agency under vague congressional statutes. They now basically write the law in the form of interpretations and federal regulations. And then when they would get challenged, they would step into a courtroom and the court would just defer to them. So it kind of consolidates the three branches of government in executive branch agencies. So that case with Chevron up before the Supreme Court can be huge too in our space, in the gun rights space, but across the country in 
continuing to rein in these federal agencies. Yeah. So what you're telling me is, is Scott, just be patient. We're, we're in a good position. You have to let this play out. It's going to take some more time. Try not to get uh, too discouraged. Uh, we're, we're in a good position. Uh, it's not, it's not, we're not, you're not saying we're going to win this. It's going to, you're not saying this is going to be all in our favor that some things might not come out of this in a ruling that, you know, you get this, but it also means that kind of, kind of thing. But we have to, the fact that it's taken this long for those three cases to get there, they are there, they are about to be heard. That will take some time. And then obviously a ruling after that will take some time. Uh, just hang in there. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's unsatisfying at times, right? You want to see the big win that strikes down everything. Um, but I think it's important for people to remember, you know, a lot of, of our rights have been, you know, incrementally infringed on, right? It was a slow build of this on top of this on top of this. And so when you peel back those layers, it's, it's incremental going in the other way at times, right? It's mm-hmm. striking down this one law in this one state. It's striking down this one rule. But then when you step back and look at those together, that's huge. Look at look at uh, concealed carry laws. Right. Look at a map of concealed carry in the mid-1980s. Right, compared to now. Virtually no state allowed for concealed carry. Mm-hmm. They were It was insanely regulated. Look at it now. We've got, what, 27 states yep. that are free and carry? Growing. And growing. And growing. Yep. Yep. I mean, that isn't a big span. That's 40 years in the, the you know, history of time that is, you know, it's a blip on the radar, but that's a huge shift that you see over that time. The, you know, this space, the, you know, the gun rights litigation space is young, right? Our big landmark case, uh, the Heller case is from 2008. When you look back at the conservative legal movement writ large, I mean, it was founded in the 1970s. Right. And the, the progressive legal movement that's founded in, you know, the 1920s. So we've made huge strides and had huge wins in a short period of time. Law is just a very slow field. <laughs> yeah, big shift to turn. Yeah, I get it. Well, let's talk about um, l- let's talk about a couple of those other things. So we talked about pistol braces. Let's talk about frame and receivers right now and what's going on because you guys are about to argue this. Yeah. And then I w- then I want to get into the the California gun roster laws and things that are happening there because that one's just hanging out right now. So let's let's talk frame and receivers, man. Where are we at with this? Yeah, I'll cruise through this one a little bit more quickly. Uh, so you know we talked about this before. Um, you know this was the the ATF and DOJ issued a, a another rulemaking. This one was older, obviously, that purported to redefine firearm and redefine frame and receiver. The goal was to try to force the agency to regulate what in the industry calls, you know, 80% lowers. Um, of course, 80% doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't actually refer to like, a, you know, a process or a status or anything to that effect. And even when people call them like an 80% frame or an 80% receiver, neither frame nor receiver mean anything in that context. It's either. kind of vernacular. It's kind yeah. of like vernacular. Like, and I, I liken this to like the gym business. You could call a, a movement out there on the floor five different things. Like it's five different exercises, but it's the yeah. same thing. It just depends it's on just, who you're talking to. Yeah. It's just a convenient marketing term. But ATF is trying to regulate as much as possible under the Biden administration. So they passed this rule. So we recently 
uh, one in the district court and the district court struck down the rule and vacated the rule in its entirety. Uh, now, of course, ATF, DOJ uh, couldn't live with that. They were not happy. They, yes. they were not happy, uh, in fact. So they appealed up and they asked for an injunction pending appeal. And basically it went all the way up to the Supreme Court this time because the Fifth Circuit wouldn't give them everything they asked for. Uh, unfortunately, the Supreme Court ruled five to four to grant the government the injunction pending appeal. And basically what that did, or a stay pending appeal. And what that did is it stayed the district court's vacater of the rule, meaning that the rule hasn't is, is kind of in this limbo where the district court has ruled that it's, you know, it, it, it violates the APA, but the rule is still in effect because the vacater is stayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's this kind of weird kind of procedural posture. But now we're at the Fifth Circuit arguing the full merits of the appeal. So the the ATF is trying to get the Fifth Circuit to overturn what the district court did. And we're, of course, defending our win at the district court. So that's been fully briefed. It's going to be argued in, uh, you know, in two days from from the time of us recording this. So it's going to be argued on September 7th. And we would we expect a rule uh, a ruling to come out of the Fifth Circuit, you know, pretty quickly there. Again, in legal terms, pretty quickly thereafter. So it could be you know a few weeks, maybe even a couple months. But the circuit has shown a lot of speed in cases like this, especially when they're dealing with issues where there are injunctions in place. Right. So basically, the um, you know the the district court ruled exactly as as we had argued that. The framer receiver rule is in excess of the agency's statutory authority, which basically just means the agency is doing something that Congress didn't tell it it could do. Uh, And as an enforcement agency and not an agency that writes laws, it can only do what Congress tells it it can do. And the rule is just so broad. It goes so far beyond what Congress intended with the Gun Control Act, with its definition of firearm and with its definition of framer receiver that it's just obvious that the agency has gone, you know, f- well beyond its its authority. So, you know, we're looking forward to argument this week. We're looking forward to seeing, you know, what the Fifth Circuit has to say, what the judges have to ask. Um, and then we'll see what the, the ruling comes out as. But that was, a, it's a huge merits win at the district court. And it's a huge case moving up, uh, up, up the Fifth Circuit. I feel like this is just like, this is always a chess game, you know, between both sides and what people are doing. And when they, when on a side feels like they have a little momentum, they respond one way. When they feel like they're maybe on their heels a little bit, they respond another way. I wonder like what your take is on this latest briefing uh, that came out of the White House and all the things that it kind of included about background checks and things like that. As it relates to any of these cases, like you think this is coming from, you think they're feeling like they have some momentum maybe from these cases, or you feel like they're like this one specifically is a huge one uh, that we just spoke about, or you feel like they're maybe on their heels a little bit and they're like, oh shit, we got to get the next thing in, in line. I mean, what's the talk, the water cooler talk about this at, at FPC or, or, or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the latter. I think it's pretty clear. So there have been three major, um, gun control rules to come out of the ATF in the past, not even 10 years, right? right? Bump stocks, frame or receiver, pistol braces, pistol braces. Yeah. Every single one of those has either been struck down or enjoined there. There, there is no momentum. They're not winning. They're losing. In fact, when we were in argument for the pistol brace case before the fifth circuit, 
one of the judges asked the agency and said, hey, what case is most directly related to, to this case? Which case best supports your position? What is most analogous? And the attorney pointed to the Cargill case. And the Cargill case is the bump stock case in the Fifth Circuit where the Fifth Circuit struck down the bump stock rule. Yeah. The That's irony cool. was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and the judge even asked, said, wait a minute, you mean the one that, I mean, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but the Cargill case where we struck down the rule, <laughs> the government attorney goes, well, you know, we, we think we were right. <laughs> well, so I mean, even, you disagree even, then. Yeah. So they're even pointing to the cases that they're losing to try to support the cases that they're also losing. And I know that a lot of people will look at, you know, a lot of people want a lot of things, right? People want to see these big, massive court rulings. People want to see everything being decided based on the Second Amendment. And they want to see a court just broadly strike down all gun control laws. And look, if I could snap my fingers tomorrow and make that happen, I would happily do so. And I would retire the day after and I would stick to my garden. But <laughs> that's just not how the law practice works. And so we are seeing the, aid, the administration lose in all these administrative cases. This recent briefing, I think, is just a, another kind of last-ditch effort in putting another thing. Obviously, you know, it's currently September 2023. We all know what happens next year. We all know, uh, you know, what's, what's coming uh, in the coming months and what we're going to be seeing uh, throughout media. And I think it's, it's an opportunity to have a press conference because they're, they haven't had a successful administrative rule yet when it comes to gun control laws. So we'll see, they haven't, uh, the proposed rule hasn't been formally published. At least I don't think it has been as of today. We'll see what the proposed rule like looks like. Same thing as before, right? I I would anticipate that we're going to see upwards of 200,000 plus comments again. I mean, People are not willing to stand by anymore and people are paying attention to administrative rulemakings mm-hmm. now. This isn't the sexy side of law. We talked about this before, right? Where, you know, people like to go in and be just to fight a second amendment claim and to fight a, right. you know, this is my, you know, constitution protected right. The, you know, the APA side is a little bit more of a, you know, textbook, uh, lawyers fighting lawyers kind of conversation traditionally, but now people are paying a lot of attention. And so, We'll see what the proposed rule looks like, and I would anticipate a, a huge number of comments again. Yeah, when, when you start bringing up the comments stuff, I mean, I think that's an important part about what like FPC and other organizations are doing in terms of people getting the message. And and now you're almost giving them a way to be involved. You're telling them how, like I mentioned, that giving them permission to be upset with the government and say whatever they want kind of thing and exercise their First Amendment rights, uh, much like you guys do on a regular basis. But the point <laughs> of this being is like now the, the word's getting out and maybe you don't like this flavor, but there are, and there are several others that you can go to if that's what you want. The important thing is, is that you're involved and that you understand this at, you know, even at the highest level so that you can try and be involved. Um, And you guys are giving, as well as other organizations, a lot of information for people to try and be involved. I think the bigger thing is, is like trying to understand, wait, where is all of this in space right now? Like, is this done? Are we done with this? Are we still fighting this? When is this going to be over? Do we win? Do we not win? I'm confused. Um, And a lot of what we've been talking about is a lot of the stuff at the federal level, which often starts maybe in a, in a lower court, but we've been talking about the federal stuff. 
want to move it to to California for a second, uh, specific to the, the 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 gun roster here, which has been a huge thing here in California for a long time. When when I tell people or I try to explain to people outside the state what that actually means and all the things that this is all the weird stuff that we have here. Um, and when I say weird, I just mean very different than a lot of other places. People are blown away. So I couldn't possibly explain all the things like what I have to do if I just want to go buy ammo. Right. Um, that's a thing that like you don't just, you can't just walk into to big five and buy ammo. Like you used to be able to do, you know, several years ago, but let's talk about this, this, the, uh, the, sorry, the gun, the handgun roster, because this thing has been a, just a plague here in California for a long time for manufacturers, for shooters, for citizens, uh, for, for, uh, store owners, um, uh, just for, for anybody and trying to understand what the hell is going on and how to make it work. So, um, maybe you can just summarize it in brief, kind of give people an understanding of what this is. Again, this is very complex. It's very weird. Maybe the be- the best way to look at it is basically California said you can't sell a gun in in uh, you can't sell one of these handguns in California unless we've deemed it safe. And effectively, like the the state has deemed it safe, uh, as if uh, all these uh, these guns coming off the, the the manufacturing line are unsafe. And until we say it's okay, which is obviously very broad, uh, you, you you cannot have this as a as a citizen in California. You are going to be regulated right. to only the ones we say you can buy. Yeah, it's even it's even a little worse than that. So uh, so California presumptively deems all handguns to be unsafe. Uh, and the only way that you can sell a handgun in the state of California is if California, they don't deem any handgun safe, they deem it not unsafe, (laughs) which is ridiculous, right? Like this idea. What it is, is it's a list of firearms, a list of handguns that can be sold in the state of California. All it is, is an end run to try and stop people in California from being able to to be able to buy handguns without outright outrightly banning the all handguns, right? right? They know they can't do that because of the opinion in Heller, the Supreme Court opinion. They know they can't ban handguns. So all they can do is try and limit the access. Um, so uh, there are, the, the roster is problematic for a lot of reasons, but one of the problems is that no new firearm can be added to the handgun roster, meaning mm-hmm. that it can't be sold in California unless it has one of, or has all three features that California deems necessary, which is a chamber load indicator, which is some sort of indicator on the firearm that, that shows externally that there is a round in the chamber, a magazine disconnect mechanism, which is a uh, feature of a firearm where if the magazine is not in the firearm, even if there is a round in the chamber, the firearm cannot be fired, can't discharge it. Those two appear in some models of some stuff. They're generally not very popular. You know, chamber load indicator goes against every, you know, the the first rule of firearms, treat every firearm as if it's loaded. Um, it makes magazine dis- yeah. yeah. Magazine disconnect zero. mechanisms are actually, are usually kind of a bad thing because what could happen is, you know, if you're in a situation where you have to use your firearm in self-defense and for some reason, you know, you hit your bag release or your magazine isn't fully seated, and that firearm doesn't fire, then you know, you're obviously putting yourself in, in more of an unsafe scenario. The third is has been the big you know focus of uh, of a lot of the the issue in the case and, and around the country the conversation, and that's micro stamping. Uh, and so California requires 
uh, a firearm to basically, there's some exceptions to this, but uh, is requiring a firearm to be able to stamp the serial number on the ejected cartridge. Now, the key there is that there is no fire manufacturer in the world that is using this technology. Like it's, it's not really doable. Uh, It's not achievable and no one is going to do it. And so as a result, basically nothing manufactured after 2013, when the law was passed, can even be added to the roster in the first place. And so, you know, you being in California, you know, this people outside don't realize this, like, right, California, you can't buy a Gen 4 or Gen 5 Glock because it's not a it's not on the roster. So you can't buy it through an FFL. You're limited to Gen 3. So what it's really done is limited California to an aging handgun technology because nothing new is being added. And in reality, it's refusing to allow people to purchase not only the handguns that they see fit, which is the underlying principle, but also it's preventing them from purchasing handguns that are integrating new safety considerations Mm -hmm. and new technologies that just aren't the one, they're the ones that the market has interest in and the market has demanded as opposed to the ones that California has demanded. So we, uh, we were victorious at the district court, but as is often the case in the ninth circuit, um, you know, that, that, uh, how often though? Cause the ninth circuit is notoriously anti. Yeah. So, uh, so pre Bruin, um, a judge did a sampling of all of the cases that were brought in the ninth circuit. And it was something like, I think it was like 58 or 59 cases. And at the time, which was just before Bruin, I think. And the the judge basically noted that the ninth circuit had upheld every single gun control law that had been challenged before it. So, so this in the Ninth Circuit includes California, Oregon, Washington, I believe, Idaho, uh, Nevada, and uh, Colorado. No, that's the Tenth Circuit. Uh, Arizona, Montana, Hawaii, and Alaska. Yep, it's yeah, huge. It. It's massive. It's massive. Yeah, there's. It has the most judges of any circuit. It has the biggest population of any circuit. It has the largest geographical space of any circuit. Um, it's just massive, and so the the our case is up before the Ninth Circuit now. Um, it's it was argued a couple weeks ago, but basically the focus there is how just how blatantly unconstitutional the roster is. I mean, it's it's not it's not even a question. But when you look at the Bruin test, so text as supported by history, the ability to purchase and possess handguns is certainly protected by the Second Amendment. That's not a question. So you have to move to history. When you move to history, it's the it's California's burden to demonstrate an analogous historical regulation. But there's no, there's not even anything close to what the handgun roster is today in history. They've, excuse me, they've tried to point to like manufacturing laws that, you know, were designed to like for some colonies or some, uh, you know, municipalities to like ensure that, a you know, shoddy barrels weren't sold or firearms that were going to explode. That's not even an argument, man. But it's not even close, right? These, the handguns that California prohibits are broadly owned across the United States are the world, the the, world, man, across the world are possessed by people across the world safely are effectively used by people across the world. So it's not even a question that that's real. It's, it is a convenient argument that they're trying to draw. So when you look to history, there's just nothing that supports 
California's current law and their current argument. So where are we with this thing? So they've heard it and they just heard it again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it can take circuit court some time to come out with a decision. Uh, So it could be months. It could be a year. It then there's nothing really that we'll know. It'll just kind of, the opinion will just come out of the Ninth Circuit one day. Um, There's not always an indication of when that'll be or or why it will fall in a certain period of time, but um, we'd expect an opinion out of the circuit at some point in the, uh, in the legal space, we would call that the near future. But like I said, it could be, could be up to a year, could be longer. Um, We don't really have a way of knowing. So for us, California citizens, it's basically business as usual until, until then. Yeah. But if you want to come hang out in, uh, in Tennessee, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Well, there's a lot of people doing that, man. A lot of people moving out that direction and otherwise, but you know, I was sort of wrapping up the ninth circuit in that, that, that grouping of, of States, ma- major group of States there. I mean, you think about States like Alaska, Montana. Uh, I mean, those are huge, huge, or those are, those are states with a lot of gun owners with a lot of different types of guns that you have them from a lot of reasons outside of, you know, protection, you know, home protection or self-protection or whatnot. So, uh, if you don't think it's coming there, if you don't think this can affect you and you're in those places, uh, better think differently, get on board with, with, uh, maybe getting in the fight somehow. Um, so listen, man, I, I think with like the, the handgun roster, like we see like this, oh, it's been overturned and now we can get what we want. And the reality of that is, is for five minutes, right? And then they, and then the state files like some type of an injunction, right? Or with the court and then it stops it up again. And then here we are, we're right back to the beginning. So, you know, while we hear you saying this is a huge victory or sorry, you didn't say that on this particular thing. It was like, hey, we're winning. This is a victory. In a sense, it is a, it is a victory because wow, a, a judge said what California is doing is illegal. They're breaking the law by doing this. Uh, the frustration comes in is that now it goes to the, to the ninth circuit, which you just said, you know, is not, not, uh, not super friendly, uh, to this community at all, or to the things that we're trying to fight for. And now we just got to wait again. So really, what are you guys doing? Right? Like, is this is just, this is just, we're just pushing paper around and just going from one camp to the next camp. Can you give us any hope on this thing? Um, I mean, or, or should we just expect the status quo to remain? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, it, like I said before, you know, it, it's, it can I be know, just, I, I, yeah, you did say like nothing is they can't really up hold this stuff. But is there anything else there that you may have left out? Like I'm really reaching at straws here because nobody here, nobody here wants to sit with this uh, with this handgun roster any longer. The roster period is stupid. Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know the legal process unfortunately is slow, right? We can fight these things in courtrooms. The, the biggest effect of fighting in the courtroom and why it's different than fighting it in the political space is that, you know, the victories can be lasting, right? So when you look at something like Heller, that's a really good example. There was a whole movement to ban handguns in this country. People forget that, yeah. you know, the gun, a couple of the gun control organizations before they were renamed to their now, you know, currently pretty you know, focus on pulling on heartstrings names. They were, you know, there was ban handguns now was one of the organizations. I mean, it was blatant. And then what you had was you had a case go all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you cannot ban handguns. And they had to change their entire strategy. So yes, we're focused on the things now 
that are being regulated. And there are places like California, New Jersey, New York that are trying more than they more than ever and are just making these really heavy pushes. And it's really easy to get focused on those. But now we're in a space where so we, you know, we've got this win in Heller that talks about handguns, the gun control movement completely shifted. Then there was up until last year, the Supreme Court hadn't recognized the right to bear arms outside the home. Mm-hmm. When Bruin comes down, we finally have the Supreme Court recognizing the right to bear arms outside the home. And now the gun control movement had to completely shift again and try an entirely new strategy. I'm not saying that they're not going to stop, right? I'm not saying, or I'm sorry, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're going to stop. I, I don't have any illusions that we're going to magically win one case one day where the gun control movement is going to finally, you know, hang up their hat. I'd love for that day to happen, but until they do, we're going to fight them in courtrooms. So you can look at it as, hey, it seems like the status quo keeps moving on. But what's happening is we're fighting new strategy after new strategy after new strategy in all of these different places and all of these different municipalities to prevent it from getting worse and worse and worse, right? Like that's the focus. If you step back and just say, what's the point? We're not going to do litigation, Watch what happens. Right. Watch what laws get passed. Watch what they do if they're unrestrained. We're we're thinking about it from the perspective of, oh, well, what case are you winning and what impact is it having? It's 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 stopping the flow, or at least holding the flow in a lot of these spaces. And we are striking down laws in a lot of these spaces. So that I think is the, the key thing to think about. Imagine what Gavin Newsom would do if we didn't exist. And, and that's why we do what we do. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, he he's doing all kinds of stuff, wild stuff, and people, you know, seemingly are, are are not winning. At least at this point, on this end of things, it looks like there's he's at least finding some roadblocks. But because he steamrolls, he just kind of does whatever he wants here, or at least starts it, and you know, lets somebody else finish it, and then he's never held accountable for any of the things that, that he left in its wake. He just moves on to the next thing, uh, keeping everybody busy, you know, in the courtroom and abroad. But we've at least been able to stem that flow and, yeah. and, and put these, you know, stops in place, strike down these laws, get these court rulings. And the Supreme Court is weighing in, right? We had Heller in 04, we had McDonald in 2010, we had Bruin in 2022. You know, we we're, might see an APA ruling on some of these ATF rules coming out of this next term of the Supreme Court. You know, who knows what when they're going to take up the next case, what the next issue they're going to weigh in on is. But, the, you know, just because it takes a long time isn't a reason to not fight. Yeah. And if, if we decide to step down and not fight, then what are they going to be able to do? So it's important to just stay in the fight. We talked about this a lot last time is mm-hmm. do whatever you need to do to stay in the fight and whatever that looks for, if wh- whatever that looks like for you. If that means that, you know, you're a, a member of FPC and an ardent supporter of our work, amazing. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. If that means that you you take on your advocacy in a different way or that you, you know, try and just bring other people in your community to learn more about firearms, then thank you. Thank you for taking on the fight that way. But whatever can keep us in the fight and can keep having a consistent and concerted push against people who just don't give a shit about your rights or your life, that's what matters. Yeah, I think uh, stamina is the word we're looking for here. People need to have a little bit of that. And it's, you know, whether you call it faith or just intestinal fortitude, uh, you you, got to keep 
you got to keep fighting. And it doesn't mean you have to be at full throttle every day. And I think that's kind of part of the issue for folks is they go all in on this one thing and then they get caught in a conversation with somebody who opposes them, who wears them out on it. And then they start hearing that same narrative. Maybe it's in social media or, or, or whatever, you know, beyond that. And it just makes them angry and it ti- it's tiresome. It really is tiresome. And that's why, look, man, that's, I get tired and that's, I, and I, I kind of lose track, not necessarily of what's important, but more like, whoa, I don't know exactly where we are in time and space right now. I need to catch up. And so that's why I always appreciate any time give, you give me, whether it's through a text message or an email or through a podcast like this, because I understand you got to move and shake and, and move to the next thing to be having those same conversations with other people. Um, so, man, thank you. Well, thank you. And, and what you're doing is, I mean, we've talked about this before. What you're doing is amazing. Like bringing this message out, getting the, the, the conversation out to people is huge, right? It's one thing for us to be able to fight these battles in courtrooms. It's one thing for us to be able to have these conversations on social media, but there are so many different places and so many different spaces that, you know, we need to talk to people and, and let people know what's going on. You know, we talked at length before, like, I love what you're doing. I love the podcast. Like, I love the balance between focusing on these issues, whether it's from an advocacy side, whether it's focusing on, you know, people who are out there, you know, fighting, defending rights uh, in all these different contexts, courtrooms and, and in other spaces. And then you also are focusing on ways to keep yourself in the fight, ways to have that intestinal fortitude, ways to keep your stamina and uh, and do that. So I thank you for having me on. You know, thank you for, uh, it's always good to, to talk and have a good conversation, whether it's like this or whether it's just us chatting. Um, but this is really important. And I think it's really important to getting the message out there. So we we very much appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. And in the interest of continuing to get the message out, I mean, we've talked about FPC a little bit. Where do, they, where do people go? How do they find out more? What do you suggest they do to get involved? Yeah, so you can go and see all of our work at firearmspolicy.org. Like I said, if you feel like the social media side isn't for you, that's fine. No problem. You can go and see all of our court filings. You can click the legal action tab. You can see everything that we're doing. You can see what we're, we're very transparent. You can see everything that's filed in a courtroom in any of our cases. Uh, so that's a good way to, to just follow along with what's going on. Of course, you can follow FPC at gun policy on just about every platform. Uh, you know, I'm at FPC action foundation. It's at FPC action or at FPC action foundation on most things. Um, and so those are all good ways. If you like what we're doing, you can go to joinfpc.org, become a member. Um, once you become a member, you can also, you know, donate to the work. There's all sorts of opportunities to follow along with what we're doing, to get involved with what we're doing. Um, and just to see kind of what's happening in the space. I appreciate you, man. Thanks again for, for all the time. Um, every time I I appreciate it. And, And hopefully I'll see you before, uh, before January, whenever the, the next event is, it's just, it looks like it's it's been like every six or four to six months or so. We've been but we've been able to to connect. So thanks again for this connection today. I, I appreciate you and um, best of luck moving forward with all the things in life and in work uh, and in this coming month with all the things that are like this this next this next court battle that's that's coming up and then it's this I, you said it's tomorrow or Friday. Yeah, so argue, we have argument in frame or receiver on Thursday, and then we've got a brief in pistol braces on Friday. That's uh, so a big those, interesting around here. Those are big ones, man. Eat your eat your Wheaties, get your your sleep, take your vitamins, uh, all of those things, and uh, and best of luck and keep fighting the good fight, man. Will do. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.